0: featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger.
1: And I'm Jeff Schutze.
0: And we have a very special episode in store for you. But first, we want to tell you about all of the amazing animation events that are happening in the Southern California area in the next couple of weeks. So first off, Gallery Nucleus is holding a special book signing. It's going to be the Magic Book of Spells signing with Darren Nefsey, Darren Nessie, as all of you out there know, is the creator of Star Versus the Forces of Evil. And she, along with the writers of the book, will be at Gallery Nucleus on Saturday, September 29th at 1 p.m. And just to let you know, you do need to RSVP for this event. And tickets will be going very fast. But don't worry, we will have the link in the show notes for you so that you can check it out and get your tickets.
1: And also G Kids and Fathom Events have been showing Ghibli films all year to celebrate the films from that studio with their Studio Ghibli Fest 2018. And a few of my favorites will be available to see on the big screen coming up. So My Neighbor Totoro, which is one of my absolute favorite films, the 30th anniversary edition will be coming to select theaters on September 30th for the English dub version, October 1st for the subtitled version, which... I would recommend. I like seeing the subtitles. And then there's going to be another dub version on October 3rd. So check your local listings. I know here in LA, for our LA listeners, it's playing at the AMC Burbank 16 and the AMC at Universal CityWalk. And I checked out the site and both were listed as almost full. Or actually, all three of them are listed as almost full. So if you want tickets, get them now.
0: Absolutely. So... Do that as soon as you can and then finally the animation is film festival will be happening wednesday october 19th through friday october 21st and it's a collaboration between g kids Annecy international film festival variety magazine and asipa hollywood and it looks to be a very very good event there's going to be animation from around the world including they're gonna have some special talks with some of the folks that worked on Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. So make sure to check that out if you're in the LA area. So Jeff, that brings us to what we've been watching. So what have you been
1: watching? I saw Mary and the Witch's Flower on Netflix. I thought it was a beautiful anime about a bored young girl named Mary who gets whisked away on a broomstick to a magical school for witches in the clouds. I thought it felt a little Harry Potter-esque and you know when we're going through the grounds and we see a bunch of magical stuff there's a water fountain that comes to life there's creatures that run around I liked all that stuff I almost wanted to see more of that stuff I wanted to see how the school actually worked but before that happens she kind of gets wind of this other stuff going at the school which is kind of more dark happenings I guess and so then the plot goes into a different direction which is cool. And the thing I would say, it, let me say, first of all, the film was created by Studio Ponoke which was founded by a couple Studio Ghibli veterans. And I really felt it. I don't know if when you're watching it, but the whole yeah. time I was like, Oh, that's just like Kiki's delivery service. Oh, that's just like Ponyo. Oh, mm-hmm. that's just like, you know, and I mean, it makes sense because they worked on Ghibli films, but it almost yeah. felt like an homage in some ways. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I like
0: that when you can trace the through line of different shows mm-hmm. and you can tell, oh, these folks worked on this show and that's why this show is like this. Yeah. And it's it's fun. I find it to be a very fun exercise. Right. And you can just see where everybody's influences are going.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I liked it. Uh, definitely. Thumbs up. Check it out.
0: So I watched a Korean show called Secret Healer and I'm slowly trying to learn Korean so I decided I'm just going to watch it without the subtitles and try to figure out what's going on and if anybody out there is also learning Korean this is a great show to do that with because the acting is so good and because of the genre that it's in that I wouldn't say it's easy to track but you could tell what's happening, because the premise of the show, according to just people's acting, not what they're saying, because I am not fluent in Korean, is that it's this kingdom, and the queen can't have children. So they find this woman to have her children for her, and instead of her just being a regular surrogate, they hire a witch to cast a magic spell to take the baby from the one woman and put it inside the queen, And what they don't know is that the woman that they basically hired to do this is also a witch, and so she curses them right before she dies, and then they end up having two babies instead of one, so they send the one to live with the king and queen, and they go to kill the other one, and the person who's supposed to kill the other one saves it because he's not about to murder a baby And then it fast forwards to when both of the children are teenagers and just craziness starts to happen and it's all very magical. But it's a really good show. It's probably even better with subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, if you're also learning Korean, it's fun. It's fun to try to, because one of the things I'm doing now is I, I listen to a podcast that said, you know, if you're trying to learn another language, you should immerse yourself, not just practice the grammar. but watch shows listen to news listen to music just in korean just to get used to just hearing it mm. all the time right so that you just get accustomed to it and it doesn't feel like as much as a shock so mm. i've just been listening to korean programming for a couple hours every day just to get used to just not hearing english but i feel like it's a good way just to get used to that
1: you should check out some Korean soaps, because I have family in Hawaii that all they listen to, or all they watch, are yeah. these Korean soaps that mm-hmm. they are addicted to. Yeah. Like, you can't call them during <laughs> the time that these soaps come out, because they are serious That's about what... it.
0: Very good. So that brings us to our main event. So we had the opportunity to visit Taiko Studios, and we spoke with founder and CEO, Chow Fu Zeng. Head of development and co-director Andrew Chesworth, art director and co-director Bobby Pontius, CG supervisor and rigger Joy Johnson, and head of pipeline and technical animator Andrew Jennings. So in part one of our interview today, you'll have an opportunity to hear Shaofu, Andrew Chesworth, and then immediately following Bobby's interview, and then next week in part two, you'll have an opportunity to hear Joy and Andrew Jennings share their experiences. So, Jeff, what did you think about the interviews?
1: Uh, it was so inspiring. I love the whole experience of it. And just listening to them tell their story about leaving Disney and founding the studio was just like, wow. You know, that they would kind of upend their lives and, you know, pursue something that they believed in so much. That was just so inspiring. Yeah, the whole. Being there and talking to them was just great. What'd you think?
0: I agree. It was amazingly inspiring, especially because of what you just said, because it's one thing to just get a job in Mm -hmm. animation. It's another to get a job at a major studio like Disney or DreamWorks and Nickelodeon. And then it's a whole other thing to realize I have my own stories to tell. And the only way I'm going to be able to do this is to get a group of people together and we make it ourselves, mm-hmm. and that is a very exciting and very scary endeavor because you have that security with the major yeah, studio, yeah. and then if you go off on your own, I mean, now you watch the short and you go, "Oh, of course it was going to work." But while you're working on it, you don't know that.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: So for them to go out there and form a company mm-hmm. and have that happen, it's just amazing, and I love it.
1: Yeah, just based on faith or an idea or something, you know, it's just, wow, they went out and did it. Mm-hmm. And-
0: so without further ado, we're happy to present episode 79, interview with the heads of Tycho Studios, part one.
3: Well nice to meet you, Angela. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice, to, nice to, to meet both you. of
0: you. So Shaffu and Andrew, thank you so much for being here today. Or actually I should say, thank you for inviting us <laughs> to your studio. So this is truly very wonderful. Thank you both for coming. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. So I just wanted to find out. Just starting with you, just what led to the creation of Tyco? Because y'all have done Mm -hmm. just an amazing short, One Small Step is Beautiful. And I'm just really curious to find out how all of this came to be.
4: I think I always had this idea in my mind of starting something, whether it was for a film or just getting a team together and just working with amazing people. That's, That's kind of the excuse of why Tyco got started. It's just a... Good excuse to work with really amazing people that are smarter than me. <laughs> but really, it started in 2010. I was very fortunate enough and humbled by our student short film that we made called Dragon Boy, and it won the student Oscar. And from that point, there was a lot of attention, but I felt like I wasn't really ready to, to go on the big thing yet because it was like right out of school. But it started to get me into that mindset. And then at the same time, I was traveling back and forth between the U.S. and China. And it was the first time I had been back in about 20, almost 25 years. I came to America when I was five. And it was around this time that I started seeing a lot of things happening in China, that animation was starting to become a thing. It it was still kind of early days and, and the quality wasn't that good. But in five years, in that amount of time, it really started to culminate into this kind of talent pool quality and just this whirlpool of all these things coming together. And I felt like the timing was right in 2015 to actually do it. So long story short, I applied to what is called this overseas talent initiative and nicknamed it the sea turtle kind of thing because it's overseas sea turtles like me that Swim home, (laughs) right? So so I applied to this thing, and I thought it was just this pitch session kind of thing for startup entrepreneurial people and, and just these ideas. First session I did was at a kind of dingy Sheraton in Palo Alto in, like, conference room D. And it wasn't many people there, but the basic pitch was I want to create an animation studio that leverages the... Great talent in Hollywood, in L.A., and uh, in the U.S., and this new burgeoning kind of passion that's that's kind of bubbling up in China. And they liked it, got into the top 10. They flew me out to Hangzhou, and then I realized it was a nationally televised Shark Tank event. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so... Yeah, it was a little surprising because they didn't really tell me until I was there and I hadn't really experienced any of that. <laughs> and it was kind of a given for everyone else. Like, of course, this is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Right. You're like, oh, uh, by the way,
0: this is what you do.
4: Yeah. So so I go in there and it's this big kind of talent show kind of a thing almost, right? Big lights and everything. <laughs> and I remember the producer was saying, we walk in and there's about 300 seats all empty. And she said, all of those will be filled by investors and they're all looking for great projects and so it's this very fervent kind of atmosphere over there it's like it's the startup generation in china right now and there's all this money pouring into culture and media like electric cars all all this stuff so made it to the top 10 got third place but it was the only one that was culture related anything that was art related everything else was like drones uh, electric cars and like bionic stuff and then i went up there and i was like i want to make cartoons (laughs) uh but they liked it, and then after that, it was this kind of whirlwind tour to get funding, wine and dine with VCs, which was kind of surreal. Never experienced that. And then from there, we got our initial round of funding, angel investment, and it allowed us to kind of start thinking about, okay, what do I really want to do with this now that there's actual money involved? And so I had been working at Disney, and it was let's say I think it was around Zootopia, and I was thinking, well. If I have this opportunity, what's the dream team? Who are the people that I really want to work with? So I reached out to Andrew Chesworth. I reached out to Bobby. I reached out to uh, Andrew Jennings, George Johnson, uh, all these people that I had really respected, admired, and appreciated the work that they did. And especially with uh, Andrew and Bobby, it's... uh, not just animators, not just technicians, but really like filmmakers and that's one of the things I really appreciated about Andrew especially, like his whole body of work is you can really tell he is a filmmaker, right? Mm-hmm. So I was looking for these types of people. And then I remember the first conversation that we had, I was in China at the time, trying to get everything set up and it ended up being almost an eight hour phone call. Oh wow. Yeah. We just and, chatting uh, about movies. Yeah. yeah. We're just talking about the things that we were into, like the movies we liked and the kind of directors we liked and what we thought animation could be and I think that was one of the most exciting things was that okay we, we have this opportunity to do something new we came from the studio system so we have all of that technical expertise and that experience of how to do it but how can we push the medium forward and how can we do it in a different way that feels fresh but still familiar how can we do it what other people are not doing because obviously it's, it's going to be very difficult to compete with Disney doing Disney or Pixar doing Pixar or what have you but if we do it in a different way it becomes something new and we're adding to the narrative that is
3: animation I had a few big takeaways from that conversation I remember well first of all my girlfriend was like what are you doing in there who are you talking to yeah so my big takeaway from that conversation was so I was already ready like I felt like with Moana I was ready to leave Disney on a high. I was like, this is one of the best professional experiences I've ever had. I would love to end it here because I wanted to kind of branch out and do my own thing for a while, but I wanted to leave Disney after I felt like I'd worked on one of my favorite projects. And so that felt like the right time to leave, just for me, emotionally and creatively. And then as well as uh, just that conversation with Xiaofu, we talked about the movies we like, the directors we like, what we like about animation. And for me, it always came down to like, feeling like it's doing something new, creating like a really powerful emotional experience and using the tools of cinema to showcase it in ways that it sometimes doesn't do. So we talked about like Wes Anderson and Roger Deakins and the Coen brothers and Brad Bird and everyone who we felt was out there doing exceptional work in live action and in animation. And what we like about that stuff, it's the way they frame a shot or the way they use color, or the way they use light instead of dialogue to tell a story. You know, whatever it might be, there's tools that they're using that we feel like a lot of animation studios are choosing not to use. You know, so sometimes. I mean, but I remember when Coraline came out being really inspired by it. The tone of it, the feel of it, the way they use visuals, how they use music, how they use kind of like quiet to kind of create tension or suspense. All these devices are things that it's fun to get excited about, and if you have a story with a strong emotional core that you have to get out and put into the world because you feel like, I need to tell this story, then it's important to support that by being excited by all these other devices in your tool set. That
0: makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. So when you approach by why this story, one? one small step is wonderful, but why this? Out of all the different films y'all could have chosen or different things mm-hmm. you could have created, how did you know this is the one that we want to start with?
4: Well, so when I first approached Bobby, I asked him about some of the ideas that he had just in the spirit of collaboration. And he had told me about this idea that him and uh, Trent Corey had worked on together that they pitched at the Disney Shorts program. And it was something that they've been developing for a little while, but we kind of just took that, the spirit of that idea and turned it into kind of this new thing. But what I really... Always loved about One Small Step was the fact that it was this very inspirational story and it kind of mirrored the journey that we were going through, right? Because we were this little dust moat in this big wide ocean (laughs) trying to do this little startup in this rickety barge. And I felt that was something that was kind of, I always want to make it personal and make it real. And I think that was the thing that I really latched onto. And I could tell that Bobby was super invested in that story because it was personal to him. Because for him, it was a story of him discovering animation and discovering that love and that passion that led him to his career. And that led him ultimately to decide, I want to devote my entire life to this. And so I felt that that was a very, very strong motivation. And that would, you know, because animation is hard. That strong of an emotion is going to carry us through to make it into the best thing that it could be. When you were considering it,
1: were you thinking about how it would translate with the Chinese market as well? Because I would think that'd be a challenge is to come up with a story that resonates
4: both with the West and the East. Yeah, I think that question comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. And it comes up here, especially because every studio... And their grandmother is trying to get into the Chinese market, right? It's such a huge market. And I think this year it's going to surpass the U.S. box office. And it's just going to keep growing until I think about 2032, 2034. Mm -hmm. Like that's the trend right now. And I think the same question comes up in China, but in a different form. I think what I have come to realize is that there's not that much difference. I think we're a lot more similar than we are different. And I think maybe some of the politics that's... well. I mean, that, that's a whole nother thing. But <laughs> I think there's this misconception that it is so different. And I think, you know, like, like a movie like Coco did amazing over in China. It did over 200 million in that one territory. And it really resonated with people because it was about family. And it, incidentally enough, it, it was like Mexican culture in that aspect. The Day of the Dead is almost exactly like the way that we venerate our ancestors. The Qingming Festival is almost it's eerie how similar it is, right? But it's this thing that is kind of universal. And I think Pixar tapped into that where they made something that was Mexican, but Americans can understand. But because they made it feel universal, It was also something that Chinese people really, really latched onto. So I think it was in that spirit where it's almost this Venn diagram kind of thing where you talk about, okay, what are the overlapping values? What are the human values, right? And I think in the end, when it's just honest and you're talking about human beings and family, everyone has that in common. That becomes that through line that it doesn't matter if you're Chinese American Bangalese or, or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's
3: a human story, and I think ultimately that's what made it resonate in China and in the U.S. I think with One Small Step too it was personal for Bobby and Shafu especially, like Bobby literally growing up with a single parent who came here from the Philippines, and she raised him on her own, and Shafu uh, the same, kind of coming from China to the U.S. growing up here and having that supportive infrastructure and the parents who show support in very... Visual ways, like providing food or providing support, but not necessarily using verbal affirmation to show love. Mm -hmm. So we're telling a story that's nonverbal by nature, so you can kind of really uh, take advantage of the body language to tell the story. That also kind of resonates culturally. As well. For me coming into it, I kind of came in more to kind of support the team and coming in as a co-director, I would try and take these feelings that were so personal to Bobby and Shafu and help find maybe the best image or the best pose or the best sequence of images to communicate that part of the story that they were feeling so honestly in their gut.
0: And I'm curious too. So now you're working with Bobby, y'all are directing this short. What was that like for you now leading a team after working on several films and shorts yourself and seeing what people have done in the past? Like, what did you bring into that?
3: That's a great question. The answer that immediately comes to mind is I was in a startup company before, but it was lower stakes. It was just production work and it was in the Midwest and it was with people I'd mostly gone to college with. And most of the work was short term, like you do a 30 second commercial for four weeks, or you do, you know, a one minute short film for a month or two, or we did like a few five minute short films over the course of a few months between commercials. And it kind of felt like being in school and just making stuff with your friends, even though we're working for McDonald's and Blue Cross Blue Shield and Tennessee Lottery. And and a lot of our bread and butter clients were big corporate offices that were either based in Minnesota, like Target, 3M, Best Buy, or, you know, like the Midwest, where it's just a lot of commercials with motion graphics. So it kind of felt like we were being paid to do service work, but then on the side, do our own personal stuff. And that's how we grew. And that is the work that led me to Disney. And when I went to Disney, it was my life's stream. I'm finally here at Disney. This is what I've always wanted. And I'm just animating and getting really refined at this one aspect of the craft. And after six years, I kind of was feeling the itch again to create, but I was also feeling really rusty. Like what does it mean to actually manage a schedule and lead people and create the incentive and motivation to propel a project forward? And uh, also, I knew these people at Disney, but I didn't know them super well. You know, I knew Bobby and Xiaofu well, but I didn't know the rest of the team. And then on the top of it, we're hiring people in China. So for me, it was a lot of awakening an old part of my brain, but also trying to integrate discipline of both things I experienced firsthand at Disney, but also witnessed at Disney. Witnessing at Disney the way all these really wonderful coordinators and artist managers and producers work they're always so positive under intense duress (laughs) and I mean and that's a huge company right so much more pressure so many more eyeballs on your back than you've got at a small company so I thought well if they can do it there we can do it here we just have to honor what they're doing well there and bring that to our kind of scrappier more ad hoc (laughs) team yeah
0: What were some of the unexpected challenges that y'all have faced just managing a company like this that, you know, coming from Disney, I'm sure that you had a conception of, you know, it'll definitely be different because it's not a massive corporation, but what were some things that just
3: flat out surprised you?
4: I guess for me, just really being the one in charge and and having to manage both, because we kind of... I mean, it started basically with us having a L.A. company and a China company starting at the same time. And I don't recommend anyone ever doing that, uh, starting <laughs> two two locations all, uh, really at the same time. Because we started here first, but as we were starting here, I was flying back and forth about once a month between L.A. and Wuhan to get everything started over there. While helping with development and just getting the team to feel like they trust each other, you know, especially in the beginning because it's development. That was a huge part of it. But I think one of the most apparent things was not having a big studio pipeline infrastructure and having all of those available things to us. I think during development, it wasn't so bad because we were doing storyboards and scripts where we didn't need a lot of that technical know-how and all of those really handy tools. But once we got started in pre-production and then along in production, it was like, oh, okay, we only have off-the-shelf tools and the tools that we don't have, we have to make ourselves. But I think more so from just management perspective, it was a lot of balancing the needs and wants of people because everyone is coming at it from a different angle. And that was something that I didn't expect would be such a huge part of the job. But it's like, it's so important to get everyone involved. It's so important to make everyone feel like they have a stake in it. They feel important enough that they want to give their one hundred ten. into the project, whereas if someone doesn't really feel involved, then you're not going to get great work out of them, they're not going to feel involved, and it has a contagious effect, and that's kind of very negative to the whole team. So it was a big learning curve there, but I think through the support of all the people involved and, I mean, just having just late night chats with people here and, and in Wuhan of how they were feeling about these things, it really put me a lot more in touch with, you know, a company is nothing without the people, right? And... You have to really care about all of those little details and you have to be mindful of that before it starts to become something bad, right? So there's a certain element of having that instinctual feeling where, okay, something might be going on right now, so I have to dip it in the butt and get these people together to talk so that it doesn't blow up in dailies or something <laughs> else, you know, which happens at big companies too, like I've seen it at Disney where, you know, things come to a head and, yeah, oh, okay. mom and dad are fighting so <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a time
1: that when you were putting this all together and the pipeline and the management and all that stuff that you were just like what have I done
4: <laughs> yeah I think I think a huge part of it too was when I originally set out to do this it was not because I wanted to be CEO or like, you know, big boss of a company. But it was because I saw the opportunity. I saw the potential, the groundswell that was happening in China and in LA where you had these super talented guys and they didn't have all the opportunities that were Actually available. These like people that could be directors, they could be storytellers, or they could be all these other things and there could be more content out there that people really want, right? And in, in this massive market, so it was all these things that, ah, if all these things were just put together and somebody did that, you could make some really cool stuff Mm -hmm. right but nobody was doing that so I had to kind of do it I guess and that was the original kind of like okay if no one else is going to do it it's not going to happen so I have to do it Mm -hmm. right and then now it's getting done and now we're kind of starting to walk down that road but things are happening
3: we're all really glad you did (laughs) (laughs) for real man like no it's been great I think to kind of piggyback on all the great things you said it's when you're small and you're stepping out and putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, the mission matters more than the money. Like, the more stable the company gets, the more affluence the employees can enjoy. But when you're small, like, you have to believe in every choice. Like, yeah, this art style, we need to bring this into the world because no one else is doing it. Or, like, telling a story the way we're telling it, we really believe this is what we want to see. And that kind of gets you through the rough parts because you're like we're doing this for the right reasons we feel like we're adding something of value to the industry and the community and we want to keep doing it right
0: yeah and for you too like what were some of the unexpected challenges that you faced being able to you know get in there and direct
3: I actually you know it's funny that's a hard question to answer because I enjoyed a lot of the challenges I think the hardest thing was definitely the human factor it always is but I think you can recover from that if you're positive and inclusive with, you know, how you interact with people. I think you can like fix that. You just have to engage it. I think the hardest physically was just making the film (laughs) getting it done in 13 months at a level of quality everyone was proud of like that was the hardest thing because we're all former Disney people and we know we're going to be compared and if there's any deficiencies in the work it's going to be scrutinized but not said to our faces you know so I think there's just that fear of like what people will praise us when we're in the room but what are they going to say when we're not in the room we want to make sure we mitigate all of that by making it the best work possible so that was always on my Mind and I think with the level of experience here and in China, like there's great people over there, but you know a lot of the talent is concentrated in Beijing, and we're starting in Wuhan because that's where we found our support infrastructure. So attracting people to Wuhan and then getting them to to produce work that was consistent with the work here, and it was all it was always a conversation. It was often learning that if you show how you want it to be rather than just using too many words to say it, you're going to get better results. So I found that I got better at giving notes because I had to not use my words as a crutch as much, (laughs) right? So because there's translators, there's effort involved in, there's like a cost to giving a verbal note or a a written note. Like the cost is somebody has to interpret it, translate it, process it. Maybe they understand part of it. Maybe they don't. So we would really rely on the face-to-face interactions, body language with translators there, making sure everything kind of feels right, using the Zoom video conferencing when we would review work, as well as we would do drawovers, sometimes in those review meetings or separately, you know, and then we would even make gifts where it kind of goes back and forth from one image to another. Like, this is what it is now, here's what we'd like it to look like, you know, and then leave it to them to problem solve how to get there. And if they run into a wall, we'll help them. I think that showing what you're intending to do And then they can see it and then they're like, oh, okay, I see what you mean. And then also following that up with like, and here's why we're doing it. You know, there's always a reason why, like if the art style is moving illustration or we want to create a feeling using brevity, you know, or this is the meaning in the film at this point, like we're introducing more orange here because, you know, dad's more present and that's his color association. If you can give clear reasons... And those reasons have kind of been consistent across the film. And then they can visually see what you're suggesting. It just makes things go smoothly. And I would realize, wow, at Disney, we would use so many words. <laughs> and not and in commercials, too. Because, we, you know, everyone speaks English, so words just kind of come out. And you take it for granted. But when you have that handicap, you compensate for it in other ways. It's kind of like if you're blind and your sense of smell and hearing goes up because your brain is looking at that now. Mm -hmm. Your brain's like, uh, how about this? You know, it's kind of concentrating different information into your area of focus. So I think it's sort of like that when there's a language barrier.
0: That's really interesting. And I'm wondering too, because you mentioned how you embrace those challenges, how are you able to do that? Because a lot of people, when they hear challenges, just think, oh, this is terrible. But you just mentioned, no, this was a good opportunity for you. So how did you cultivate that? Uh, I think some
3: of that is upbringing, like You know, in my household growing up, like if it was a challenge, it was character building, therefore worth embracing, you know. So I think that having that ingrained, like you don't shy away from challenges, you face them as like a this is when your life matters most is when you're embracing a challenge and growing from it. If you're just kind of hanging out and kind of taking the easy road, there are times to do that for sure (laughs) because we all need a break. But I think the challenges are the moments that matter. And I think for me, that's like what makes it exciting.
0: It's really good to hear. So y'all have been very generous with your time. So I just want to ask this final question. If, you know, for anybody that's thinking, I want to one day do something like this, what advice do you have for them?
4: Go do it.
3: Just do <laughs> it.
4: Yeah, I think that was, that was for me, probably the big, like I could talk a lot about, you know, read the right books or or uh, do some leadership or whatever kind of things and get more experience. But at the end of the day, the biggest hurdle for me was just to decide to do it because it was a time where I was very unsure because I was in a very stable job at Disney. It paid well. And the rest of my, for the next five or 10 years, I knew what that looked like. And it was, it was nice and comfortable. Right. And even for people that don't have that, that are just coming out of school and you don't know what you want to do or whatever stage of life you're on. I think ultimately it's just a decision of, I want to do this and then you stick to it and you just do it. I think that's one of the hardest parts is just that fear of failing. And I think for us, for me personally, it was, it was just not being afraid to fail and pick yourself back up and just keep going and just do it. So it's a similar thing that you're talking about, Andrew, about just run towards the hard thing and face it head
3: on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a kind of, I don't know, like I meditate. I think there's a kind of Zen in accepting that you're going to sometimes go the wrong way or sometimes fall and hurt yourself. And not that you should just accept that passively. You should still always try, try, try and do your homework. But I think... There's like a mentality that needs to sit beneath it that is telling you like that's just part of it. I mean, I grew up listening to all those Pixar podcasts where they would talk about like fail early, fail often. That's where you're going to learn and that's what is going to matter. And at first I didn't really, I mean, I thought I knew what that meant, which was just learn and grow, learn and grow. Yeah, I get it. But when you're going through it and you feel like you're actually failing and your head is down in the dumpster, like this is what they were talking about. This is the moment you need to get past. This is the moment where you need to choose not to give up. Like, it's that. Because when you actually feel like a failure, that's when that advice matters. It's not like, oh, I made a mistake today. Guess I'm a failure. You know, it's not. I mean, there's some of that. But it's more like when you actually feel like, man, I really screwed up this part of the production. I really drop the ball. Like, that's when you need to listen to that advice.
4: But I think that feeling is so important. We're developing projects now where sometimes I feel physically ill just (laughs) thinking about what it needs to be and what it could be and how far we are from it. But because I have that violent reaction to it, (laughs) that it gives me that juice. I know not everyone has this kind of, it's, yeah, maybe it's just me, but like, it's this Feeling that, you know, we can do so many really cool things and and it needs to be that. And it feels like we're not getting there. But it's also this fuel that yeah. that just lights a fire under your butt and just helps you keep going, you know, to
3: do better things. And that comes back to like, what are you doing it for, right? Like there's, there's only a handful of things that would take me on a, like a mission, you know? And I remember like growing up, I was passionate about film and then separate from film, it was like music. And then it was like environmentalism and animal rights and human rights. And I'm like, there's only a handful of things I really, really like give a crap about. And so I think you start with the one that... You wake up in the morning most excited about in terms of like, I believe in this and I'm entertained by it. Because if you believe in it and you're entertained by it, then you can do it all the time and feel like not only am I getting enjoyment out of this, but there's like a positive purpose in doing this, you know, and then you have other passions like music is my second passion and I fold that into my film however I can, whether it's through collaborations or how I want to score something or whatever. But that's a big part of my life and I like folding that in and I feel like music is universal and it adds value to just being alive and then there's other stuff like the environment and like the people and animals we share this planet with and that's like just a core fundamental value so be curious about that value those things and a lot of the stories i want to tell fold those ideas in as mm-hmm. well so you kind of want to take everything that matters to you and put it into your business plan as much as you can and then be compromising where you need to be yeah,
0: actually I was- Another question I just want to ask you, how has it been getting to show the film to everyone? Because y'all have gotten to go all across the country, all across the world, different studios, different people. How is that just finally getting to show it to the world?
3: a relief (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's done I'm always kind of amazed that it exists you know we've shown it at so many places and I've been completely floored and amazed and humbled and dumbfounded by some of the places we've shown it you know like Disney Island DreamWorks Pixar the list goes on and continues to go on and every time we show it I'm kind of like I can't believe we did that. I can't believe it's done and there it is and it doesn't feel real. It feels like a dream or like like somebody else did it and I'm just here watching it. It's weird. Whenever you finish something with a team you're really proud of and you're really proud of how the work turned out and now people that you admire or looked up to in a lot of cases growing up are responding to it. It's almost life completing in a way. You're like, I could just die now and I'm like, this is a good time to die. (laughs) No, 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 no. We gotta
0: (laughs) not yet.
4: Yes.
3: No, but, yeah, but it's weird. After that, you're like, you got to find the next purpose in the next project. And hopefully the next project carries that same meaning with it. And that's the hard thing is, you know, there's all these different potential things we could be doing. And each one of them, you want to add commercial value, but also personal value to the people making it. We're in that kind of search now for what's the next thing. They're all kind of lined up on the runway, but which plane is going to take off? How do you decide what your next project is going to be here? You just be open to it. Okay. You push the ones that you believe in always, of course. you got to have input in order for there to be output, but then you also have to be flexible on what the world is responding to, or the people that can help support your company are responding to. You don't want to betray your values. You're saying, we're this kind of company, but now we're doing this. That's going to lead you astray. So it's learning how to say yes and learning how to say no is the most important thing when you're kind of in that nation phase yeah i think
4: for me it just boils down to a simple thing of let's do the projects that we're interested in and then whoever gives us money to do oh. that project right <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. a good yeah. equation then, yeah, that, that's yeah. really
3: <laughs> as simple as it gets. we like yeah. it they
0: like it it's done yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah.
3: hopefully they like it exactly so really it's about not limiting who you're willing to work with mm-hmm. always as long as like they're willing to kind of see a similar vision, right? They might have a slightly different idea that'll make your project better. And you're like, oh, maybe I didn't see it that way, but it's totally in line with the values of the project. And I think that's what it is. Like, it's knowing the values because like with one small step, when Bobby and Trent pitched it, it was not an Asian or Chinese story. It was just a little girl wants to be an astronaut. Every choice she makes is a step towards that dream. And that's the heart of it. And then when we developed it at Tyco, The father character became more prominent, and it kind of became, okay, now it's like a love letter to the people who really support you on your dreams, not just, you know, taking the steps to get there. And then it became really personal to Bobby and Xiaofu with, like, the parental personification as well as the immigrant story in the kind of cultural hybrid setting. And then all of us kind of brought our own experiences to it. Like I really connect to Luna. There's a lot of my girlfriend in Luna. I see a lot of my dad in the dad in the film and so if I'm coming into it I can kind of like input that. And the project becomes what it's going to be but it, at its core it's still a girl who takes all the steps to following her dream. It's still the original pitch but mm-hmm. it yeah. became the product of the people that made it and that's true with investors or co-productions or new people you bring onto your team it's always going to be a product of the people that make it and you have to be open to that as long as you kind of know what that initial mission statement is for mm-hmm. the project and the better the mission statement the more universal it is it will invite the most people in.
0: Well, that's fantastic so thank you very much for your time it was a pleasure getting to talk with y'all and i know people are really going to enjoy hearing all of your stories and about this and i look forward to whatever you do next So Bobby, we're really interested in just finding out how you came up with the idea Ah. for One Small Step. I know that this was originally an idea that you pitched while you were at Disney.
2: So Uh what's Uh the story? The story was in the very, very beginning, me and one of my artist partners, we were sort of talking about when we go cafe sketching, which you guys probably do a lot as well. We started to notice that like shoes start to tell a story and Kind of depending on like what their backstory was and what their life is. And it tells a lot about their personality, right? So we wanted to tell a story about walking a mile in someone else's shoes and how that can sort of tell a story. And we started thinking about some of the sort of iconic shoes, like ballerina, soccer cleats, and then we thought like also moon boots too. At the same time, we sort of came across this uh, Canadian astronaut named Chris Hadfield. And his whole story was, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of him at all. He's one of those guys that he watched the moon landing when he was like nine or something like that. And then at the tender age of like nine or ten he decided that he wanted to be an astronaut when he grows up. So everything he did in life was like focused towards being an astronaut of like, what sports can I join? What classes can I take all the way until he was like an adult, he was a pilot and everything else. So that story is really inspiring to us that someone could know what they wanted to do so early and just dedicate his life towards that goal and that dream. And we kind of related to that in terms of like animation, you know, of like you see that first Disney film that you see and you fall in love with it and you decide, Oh, I'm going to do that. You know, and everything that you do in life is geared towards that goal. So that was the inspiration for Luna, our main character. She saw the a rocket take off when she was a little kid, and sort of was obsessed. And even when she grew up and became like a teenager, she that she never lost that fire, that passion for uh, being an astronaut.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. So when you pitched it, did you already have most of the story? I imagine things changed quite a bit. Uh huh. Now. Uh-huh what it is today, but most of it already planned out.
2: So we tried to do the whole like 10 slide pitch, making it specific, but also keeping it short. So I think in the beginning it was just about her and it was just about her dream, her goal of what she did to get there. And then we realized at some point after the pitch, it's not as entertaining if if it's her story in a vacuum. That there always is a support system or somebody if she can have somebody to work with or work off of or they can be there to support each other it makes for a more interesting story which kind of led us to the idea that a lot of chasing your dream is the people that support you along the way and so the short kind of became a love letter to people that can chase their dream but also the people that support them along the way like parents teachers, mentors, you know, when you get in the animation industry, you have like your mentor and yeah. everybody. And so at the end, when she sort of, spoiler, she makes it. To the, uh, <laughs> oh, no. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't know how it is for you guys, but like, I remember getting my first animation job. And when you're sort of walking through the doors, all you think about is like everybody that supported you. All you can think about is like teachers, your mom, dad, mentors, and that kind of thing. And you're like, Ah, The gratefulness, you know, like you're so grateful for everybody that sort of helped you
1: along the way. I love that because a lot of stories you see on the screen nowadays, it's... Oh, they just have an inherent ability. Uh-huh, They're just uh-huh. this magical person that, oh, well, yeah. oh, he was destined to do this. Not You don't see the work and the people right. behind them, and yeah. you know, that's really cool. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I don't think they get enough credit, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. When we're living it, I mean, it's very real, that feeling of just, like, feeling grateful and being grateful. Oh, yeah. Going back home, and they're like, "Hey, you're a big shot in Hollywood now." You're like, "Ah, not really, man." You know, kind of thing. But it's never really portrayed in, like, you know, media or movies or anything. But you're like, "Why not?" You know, I mean, like, those people like deserve their props too. You know, you didn't just make it on your own. You know, (laughs) but it was hard. Yeah, if not
0: for supporting, i have been like, "Oh, I guess I'll just move back home." Yeah, yeah, get or do whatever. I know. know, I know.
2: well, I mean, like being the artist thing is like hard for people. It's hard to get people on board with that. I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to make cartoons. And they're like, "Mm-hmm,"
4: you know, in yeah. a dinner
2: table, you're the only one that yeah. has this kind of job. And oh, everyone's yeah. sort of talking about real jobs, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. They wanted to like, so cool.
0: rent and eating food. Will you be doing these things? Uh, ah, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And honestly, <laughs> you don't know in yeah. the beginning. Yeah, honestly, yeah. yeah, you don't know. And so that's. Also, maybe sort of a scary thing, too. It's like, I, I really need to work hard and be, not be that starving artist. Yes. You know, okay. that all of us go through at some point.
0: So how did that go from you being at Disney, pitching this at Disney, to uh-huh. you being here at Taiko uh-huh. and meeting with the
2: crew and saying, yeah. we should do this? Yeah. So we at Disney, you pitched three ideas. And then so me and, you know, my artist friend Trent Corey, who's an animator there now. So we pitched three ideas and they they went ahead with one for Disney. And so we still had these other two ideas going. And then when Shafu contacted us and told us about this company, he's like, hey, can you pitch me that one about the little girl that wants to be an astronaut? So Trent pitched it to him and he's like, yeah. He told him about the company and he's like, yeah, that's gonna be our first short because it was sort of aspirational. It had a lot to do with space, had a lot to do with like uh, space travel, someone with a dream. It's just sort of like everything at that point the company was representing and mm-hmm. what it's about and uh, one of the things I always like to tell people is like when we first started on the short we went to the California Science Center have you guys been there? Oh the one up in San Francisco? Yeah, yeah. Oh no no sorry they, the, the one here Oh by no. USC?
1: Yeah, one, yeah, yeah by USC yeah. Oh,
2: cool. So they have the Endeavor over there have you seen that? Yeah. Check it out. Okay. Yeah, That's it's a lot of yeah. yeah. So they have a lot of stuff just space related or just like early landers. And man, when you look at that stuff really up close, it was really, they were just like making it up as they went along. Oh, it oh, looked yeah. like duct tape. It looked yeah. really like, are you kidding me? It looked like... <laughs> Just kind of looks really... Like tin foil. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tin, yeah. yeah. You're like foil? Yeah, is this literal foil? I've yeah. been to the Smithsonian in D.C. and you uh-huh. see those capsules and nothing so you like see...
0: levers and little buttons yeah. are going, that yeah.
2: looks very unsafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And very tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, you yeah. kind of get the feeling that they're just kind of making it up as they go along. Yeah. They have some sort of goal, but they don't really know what they're doing. And that's kind of, that was kind of like us in the beginning. <laughs> We're kind of like, like making it up as we went along, kind of... Figuring it out because we were all animators. Joy was a rigger, though. Andrew Jennings over there, who was in uh, tech anim. But we we're all animators, and so, as you know, in like big studios like that, you do that job. So if you're an animator, that's what you do. You know, you get in, you animate the shot. For something like this, it was like a startup, and taking on tasks like directing or storyboarding, and you're like, I, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. You know, <laughs> just kind of making it up as I go along. You know, it very much felt like flying by the seat of your pants. There's always the pressure, though, that like we, we want to make a good first impression. But it was really like anything goes in the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. with like startups like this. It's the same thing you felt like when you're looking at these landers. You're like, I don't know if that's <laughs> even safe. You know, even yeah. the Endeavor, like it oh, looks yeah. like it's falling apart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see yeah. the tiles and yeah. stuff? It's just
1: like, <laughs> you're like mm, I don't know mm, if that's going to
2: shield us. Coming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, at some point, we just had to get it released from Disney because we pitched it to them so it belonged to them but they released it back to us and then we just started making it here and now one of the other ideas of the three Trent went on to make it over at Disney as well so it was like yeah it was a good Mm -hmm. year for him productive year Mm -hmm. you know and we had it it was just nice coming in on the first day of work but you already have a goal it's Mm -hmm. not like man what am I doing you (laughs) know just kind of sitting on my computer we already kind of had to hit the ground running and it was so funny guys because like we were like we're gonna take like six months to make this and then, you know, we'll kind of put it out in festivals. It took us like a year and some change. So we underestimated by like eighty percent or, you know <laughs> It's crazy. Could you kind of came in and you're like, oh, at Disney it takes like, what, three months? We could probably do it in six. But we have like a fraction of the team. And then like, it just took us like a year and, Almost a year and a half. It was nuts. It was crazy. I can
0: understand why you would think six months. Because you're like, oh, we'll
2: just add an extra 50% to that. That sounds doable. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, like, eight minutes or, like, six minutes at the time didn't sound like a lot. You know, we're like, we're going to keep it simple and we're working on it full time. But, man, that stuff, like, you just... Don't know how long this kind of stuff takes until you really kind of get in there. And I guess you can make something really fast if you don't care about the quality or care less about it. You're like, I just need to get this out. But like, again, that pressure, this is our first calling card to everybody. And we, we would always say we have all these peers and we just want to put our best foot forward. And that kind of pressure like kicks it up and takes time and all that stuff.
0: And I wanted to ask yeah. you too, because you had mentioned it the yeah. last time I had a chance to see y'all speak about yeah. rallying the troops Oh yeah, things
2: are really tough.
0: And uh-huh. I just want to know, uh-huh. how do y'all
2: keep the team motivated Yeah, just in the middle of Yeah. It? So I think one of the things that really helped was to, as a director or art director or like a head of story, get ahead of the curve and try to produce something that's super good or as good as you can make it. Because you know that the team here and the team back in China is just you just want to inspire them that's all it really is I mean you want them to get on their computer in the morning see something that you did and just go can we hit this and if it's great if it looks good if it inspires them they're like I don't know but this is awesome and I'm gonna try a lot of it was just kind of like getting ahead and trying to set a standard. And then just making sure, like, at any time, we're trying to produce something really inspiring to the best of your abilities. However you can make it of just, like, people are going to see this, I need to light them up, and I need to inspire them. It's like a lead by example, you know what I mean? Yeah. Versus, hey, that, you know, getting on the horn and just yeah. sort of, like, giving, like, a, a heart speech. And yeah. No one no here's right really that good at that anyway. <laughs> you know? And sorry, like, there's also the language barrier, too, right? right. Like, there's, like... You could say the most inspiring words in the world, Mm -hmm. but I mean, there's that language barrier, right? So a big part of it was just very visual. The way that we would give notes is even for lighting or something like that, they turn in a shot and you feel like it could be better. And then you just kind of, you show them like, okay, this is where we are. This is what it could be. And that's universal. You don't have to put any explanation. You could just look at them side by side and just kind of say, oh yeah, I I like the colors here. They're pushed here or like it feels a little more dynamic with the light shapes and the bloom and the time of day, it's really strong. So a lot of it was just like visual communication and then just sort of getting them to see, this is where it is, this is where it could be. And just trying to inspire them that way. It was a big learning process too, because here we're in the studios, we can just kind of talk to each other about it and we can just sort of, or email each other about it, but you couldn't really do that. over there. You had to find different ways to communicate when you, know, when you don't speak the same language. And
0: is your entire animation team in China? Or did you have a few people here as well, along yeah. with all of you?
2: So it? also, a lot of animators over there. Maybe a lot, by like three or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then Chesworth, Andrew Chesworth, and Shafu also animated. Okay. I also wanted to animate on it, but mm-hmm. like there was um, someone needed to like take care of like color and light and stuff mm-hmm. like that.
0: And you were not only like directing it, mm-hmm. Andrew, but also... Mm-hmm.
2: Color, like, just overseeing the whole process. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, when I came in, I had no idea about color and light. I had no clue. I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Because I was like, uh, (laughs) animation Mm -hmm. and character design was what I did before I came in. Mm -hmm. But, like, light and color, I'm like, I don't so, I took. Have you guys heard of Schoolism? Yes. Platform? Oh, yeah. Plug for them. Yeah, yeah. They're great. Yeah. yeah. Did you. Have you guys taken classes? I've like? done
0: one of the. I did a gesture drawing nice. class.
2: Nice. Alex Wu. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right I, I just watched all the tutorial videos. Yeah. I just did everything yeah. that I said. Dude, that's exactly what... I I was so scared Mm -hmm. about art directing this short. I'm like, I need to actually know what I'm talking about. So I did exactly what you did of just, like, looked at the lectures. You know, I didn't even get feedback because that's a different thing. It's a good plug for them, but... uh, (laughs) No, that's that's, that's great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just did exactly... I was just like, ah, okay, all right. And they are really good about color and light in production, right? (laughs) Those guys, Monsters, Inc., or something like Up. So it was really just kind of like I... I need to at least educate myself for at least a month. Yeah. You know? It did not have that much time, man. <laughs> then you go and be like, yeah, this is all color. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And still, you know, honestly, yeah, even yeah. after that, I, a lot of it is just experimentation. You slider on the Photoshop thing, oh, yeah. and you're like, oh, all right, that looks good, I guess. (laughs) pleasing to the eyes. Yeah, there's a lot of real painters that are talking about, like, color theory. You know, they really know their stuff. And I'm like, I just slide the (laughs) slider
1: until it doesn't look terrible, (laughs) you know? Yeah. When you were thinking about coming on to Taiko, Uh did you know you were going to be wearing so many hats? Was that... Part of the appeal or did it yeah, come yeah. about because of necessity and uh-huh. hey I'm just gonna jump in and do this
2: I think that's a great question I knew that I was gonna wear a lot more hats and that's appealing right like yeah. because at this point I get a little bit antsy like every five years I don't know if you guys are the same oh, yeah. or maybe yeah. even less I'm just mm-hmm. kind of like okay this is great I've done this what else is scary and exciting and new so i knew that i was going to come on and like art direct it and direct it but the you're kind of like oh that sounds fun and then when you actually are in the thick of things and in production you're just like man this is a lot (laughs) and the thing that i realized too is like when you're art directing or directing it's not necessarily about only the work you do anymore you know Mm -hmm. it's not even just about you even in animation or characters it's just about the work that you do make it great but like Coming on to like a leadership position, it's not about you really anymore or the work. It's about getting other artists to create beautiful work, shepherding them, supporting them, anything that you can do. That's what it was like for me. I'm just, uh, it's not about me anymore. And then you're like, oh, and you feel bad because you didn't do anything all day. All you've been doing is like paint overs and draw overs and talking. But yeah, that was the biggest like jump. But it was, it was really fulfilling though.
1: Well, that must be really cool to be able to just jump into something else. Like, hey guys, I'm gonna yeah. do this part. You know, this aspect uh-huh. of the production. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Whereas, if you're in a studio or something, you might not yeah. be able to do that. You it's know, really you don't hard. Have that flexibility.
2: Yeah, it's really yeah. hard because like everybody's. A, it's a little more compartmentalized, and it has to be because it's a bigger production. Right. With this, it's just kind of, like, all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. That's also fun. That's cool. It's really fun, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you get to try your hand at, like, story. Even though you're not the greatest, you're also kind of like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but, you know, (laughs) let's just kind of do it anyway. Yeah. And you kind of have to, there's no time to overthink it. And you just kind of just do it. You're like, I don't (laughs) have that experience professionally. But we all have, like, storyteller taste, right? Like, we all like movies. We know the movies we like, the TV shows we like. And so we at least know what's good yeah, you know what, what, I, what I mean yeah. True. yeah you know and you could at least strive for it. you might not have like the skill level yet but at least you know like what you're kind of aiming for so oh, yeah that's great that's yeah. encouraging to hear because I yeah. know a lot
0: of people the reason why they don't start is because uh-huh. they think oh I have to have all the knowledge I have yeah. to have everything perfectly laid out yeah. or else it'll just collapse and fail so you you just have to
2: have enough yeah you, know, you don't have to have anything no I agree and honestly I felt the same way If we're getting really specific with color keys, I'm like, oh, we need to hire someone, you know, for this, because I don't have anything about color, you know, and then we need to hire someone. But I was like, I don't this person's great with color. But when you're at a startup, you don't necessarily have all the money in the world to hire whoever you want. Like in a studio, right? You could just hire this person and you know, you found their work online, but after a while you're just kinda like, well. I guess I'm doing this thing <laughs> you know and I mean like you just kind of have to just do it sometimes and it's really scary at first really really scary but then like the more that you do it if you're in a mentality of like oh this has to be great this you know you put up inspiration references and that kind of thing so but it is really scary in the beginning and you felt like you can't jump in Unless you're, like, really experienced in it or amazing already at it. But you
0: start to see, like, the
2: the new work, you yes. know, it's a little bit better than, like, a month ago. You know, you start to, like, see progress if you're doing it all day. And so, yeah, and even now, like, it's still sort of flying by the seat of my pants in terms of, like, color and stuff. But, oh, well, you know, <laughs> it's the best that I could do, yeah. you know? So, I think you have to be okay with it that's at good. some point, you know? <laughs> you have to let it go. It's like, okay, this is our deadline. Yeah.
1: I have to be, have to be okay with this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that's a good lesson because, mm-hmm. especially for our audiences, uh-huh. to just... You know, it sounds trite, but it's like the old Nike thing. Just do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. like, when I was starting my webcomic uh-huh. years and years ago, uh-huh. I was so concerned with, oh, I need to have the story arc, I need to have
4: all the yeah.
1: characters, all this stuff. Yeah. And then I wasted, like, a year or two just really? trying to get into that instead of just... You know what, I'm gonna learn as I go. And uh-huh. that's kind of what I had to do. I just yeah, had to jump into it yep. and it turned out fine. Again, you do that, but you sort of see every month or
2: like every half year the progress that you've right. made, right? Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. When I
1: look at the first strips yeah. of my book, I'm yeah. like Oh, I do yeah. even
2: like, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't even want to try and sell this to people because uh-huh. so uh-huh. yeah. but people like seeing that progression, and they're like, "Oh no, this was
2: great." Oh, so so yeah. did you did you document it online? Is that what it? Yeah, it's like all online. of it online. Yeah, it's it's online. a web comic.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I that's probably, encouraging too, though. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I kind of want to go back and George Lucas it. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. but yeah. So, yeah. No,
2: yeah, People actually they do, they do like that. Isn't that crazy? Like people love to see the progress because it sort of. Makes you real first. Yeah. It gives them hope. Yes, like I don't know if you guys yeah. have found an artist that you like online and you dig back to their archives and oh, you're yes. like, Whoa, yeah. they came a long way, man. Yeah. You know, if they can do yeah. it,
0: I can do it. Pretty, Pretty much know? every artist I follow on Instagram, like, okay, what was their very yeah. first uh, post? This yeah. like really grainy, out-of-focus sketch is, of somebody this, and yeah, you know, yeah. Like their dog <laughs> Yeah, woman. yeah, yeah.
2: You know, it's like, oh, this uh-huh. is
0: very reassuring yeah but, you
2: know. and it doesn't happen right away like it doesn't happen like a year it happens in several years you just see the steady unwavering commitment to be better yeah you know what I, mean? yeah. I also like to see you know when people do those like speed drawings oh, or speed like paintings oh, uh-huh. like yeah. what's really cool for me to see is like all the mistakes that they make and erase and do it again and yeah. erase or like no arm okay that's a bad arm and then what? no leg no that's a bad leg but they fight for that image or oh, like God. they don't give up instead of just going ah I suck I can't oh, do it yes, you yeah, know what I mean yeah. and then uh-huh. the video just stops yeah. like you can see them fighting for right. this good image or a nice pose or like a yeah. nice face or something like that I was yeah. like seeing
1: that too I love yeah. seeing that the trial and error yeah because sometimes in your head you're just like oh, this just came out of the head of Zeus. They just, <laughs> you know, know completely know. just know. made this beautiful thing. Yeah, but then yeah, when yeah. you see them constructing it, you're they're like, fighting. oh, they're, they're doing a lot of controls. You yeah, control. so yeah, yeah. Finding that perfect yeah. line or yeah. whatever
2: it's like. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll see people just delete whole heads and yeah. then start all over. And I'm like, I don't even have the patience right Oh, yeah, yeah. I would just go, I can't draw heads. I <laughs> said just stop, you know? But yeah, that's always, that fight for it. Yeah, yeah I was like, oh, dang, they work really hard. <laughs> that's oh, why yeah. they're so good. Right
0: well Bobby thank you so much for yeah. that. Is there anything else that you want to share with people or your like final words of wisdom you like tell people like just can you know, just get in there
2: yeah I would say like I always kind of think about like everything all the different like people that I've met and uh, like different artists I've gotten to work with in a lot of different studios and I would say it's okay to really glean and take from them and let their influence just wash over you and let that happen I mean it's okay you know I mean like I, I think I'm influenced by everybody that I've worked with before. And I would just say kind of like that amalgam of like all the artists that you worked with ends up being your style or like your, your aesthetic or like the things that you like. And I feel fortunate to have worked with a lot of different great, great, great artists. I feel very lucky. And then, uh, so you kind of feel like this is sort of going a little extra, but once you sort of think back to everyone that shared their time with you or like mentored you, this goes back a little bit to the short as well, but even passing that forward as well, I would encourage you. And students or artists to once they get to a place where they can be a mentor to someone that they should also do that as well just paying it forward yeah, yeah I just like that whole idea of like art just like sort of going through generations and oh, yeah. you know, kind of moving yeah. on and stuff like that kind of a living thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah because it happened for you right yeah. you know yeah. it's funny we all probably have like those teachers in our mind mm-hmm. two or three teachers and they're like thank you <laughs> <laughs> so taking t- thank you for caring yeah, yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. thank, yeah, thank you for caring deep. yeah Yeah, yeah, but they took the time, you know, and and it it just makes sense for us to do the same to, like, next generation, so. That's excellent. Yeah, Yeah. thank you for having me. thank you so much.
0: Yeah. And that concludes part one of our interview with Tyco Studios. Special thanks to everyone involved for being such wonderful guests. And we also wanna give a shout out to Brandy Braxton, the production and logistics coordinator for making these interviews possible. Thank you so much, Brandy. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button on the right-hand side All of your donations help us to pay for the technical aspects associated with running the podcast. And you can also see what's going on in the world of animation by visiting our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And Jeff, where can people find you?
1: People can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at JeffBot, J-E-F-B-O-T. And on Instagram, at shootzy, S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E.
0: Excellent. And you can see what I've been up to lately by visiting my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram, the handle is at sketchysoul. So thank you to everyone for listening. And make sure to tune in next week for the second half of our interview with the fine folks at Tyco. And until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.